0: The scripture reading this morning is from 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we are blind until you open our eyes. We are empty until you fill us. We are lost until you speak and guide us. And so we ask that you would speak today. In Christ's name, amen. In 1965, Salvador Dali, famous Spanish painter, traveled to New York City and during his trip here, he scheduled a visit to the prison at Rikers Island. There was an educational program. He wanted to volunteer his time, teach a class on painting to the prisoners. But unfortunately, on the day of the, uh, the class, he was very sick, he was unable to attend. So to make up for his absence, he painted a painting, kind of classical Dalian image of a crucifixion of Christ, painted a painting, and he gave it as a gift to the prisoners at Rikers. That painting that was worth, I mean, worth thousands of dollars the day that he signed it uh, hung on the prisoner's dining room wall at Rikers Island for 16 years, after which time, the prison officials began to get a little, little bit nervous having such a valuable piece of artwork hanging right there where all the prisoners were eating lunch, eating eating dinner. So they decided to move the painting to the lobby at the visitor's entrance to Rikers, where it was hung on the wall and protected behind plexiglass. One day in 2003, a prison guard was walking through the lobby. He glanced at the painting. And he thought that something looked different about it. He called over some other guards. They looked at it, and sure enough, they discovered that the original painting by Salvador Dali, which by that time was worth a quarter of a million dollars, was gone. It had been stolen and replaced with a fake, a counterfeit. Well, the thieves were eventually caught. You know who did it? Three prison guards and one of the wardens had stolen it. They were caught. They were arrested. They were sentenced for their crime, and their crime was they had taken a painting that was very, very valuable and had replaced it with a painting that was worth nothing at all. Now, why was the replacement painting worth nothing at all? You know the answer. Because it wasn't real right? It wasn't wasn't genuine. It was not an authentic dolly, right? And that's the way it is with a lot of things in life. There are many things in life uh, where their value depends entirely on their authenticity. So that wristwatch that you bought from a street vendor in Manhattan, it might say R-O-L-E-X right on the face of it. But if it's not a real Rolex, you paid too much for it, right? Or that, uh, that autographed baseball you have listed on e- eBay. It's going to be hard to sell unless you have what? A, a certificate of authenticity, proving that that really is Derek Jeter's autograph and that you didn't just write it there yourself with, with a Sharpie, right? So that's the way it is with many, many things in life. They have no value unless they're real. Now, would you agree with me that that's also true? With faith. Listen, you you may have certain religious beliefs, you may hold them very sincerely, but if what you believe isn't true, your listen, what good is your faith? On the same note, even even if what you believe is true, if you don't truly believe it, like you're just kind of going through the motions of, of, of your religion, again, what good what good is your faith? So he these are some important questions. How do you know that what you believe is true? And how do you know that you truly believe it? You're not just going along with, with the crowd, right? Those, those are important questions. Those, those questions are addressed in the book that we're going to study together this summer the book of first john first first john is an epistle it's a letter that was written to Christians in the early church the author of the letter never identifies himself but as far as we can tell it's written by the apostle john and the book of first john begins by talking about faith that is real faith that is real and it does this by really by in two ways it talks about an external reality and it talks about an internal reality. So, first, this passage says that the Christian faith is based on an external reality. Christianity, you need to understand, Christianity is not a philosophy to be studied, it's not a meditative technique for you to practice if you want to, if Christianity is not a list of rules for us to obey. Christ- Christianity is a declaration about reality that's based on an objective historical claim. So the Christian faith, the gospel claims that the creator of this universe came into our world in the person of a Jewish man named Jesus who grew up in a small town called Nazareth. That's the claim. The creator of the universe came into this world in the person of a Jewish man named Jesus, and, and the gospel says that the proof that that claim is true is the fact that Jesus died and rose again. So the Christian faith, it's, it's, it's based on a claim about something that happened in our world, an external reality. Now, the question is, of course, how do we know that this claim is true, right? How do we know that this really happened? because people saw it. People saw this. The apostle John, the other apostles, they were eyewitnesses of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you'll notice verse 1 and 2. This is, this is the way the book starts. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So John is saying, we saw Jesus. We we heard Jesus speak. We looked at him closely with our eyes. We touched him with our hands. And he says, and we proclaim to you that he is the eternal life which was with the Father. And we proclaim to you that he appeared to us. So what's he doing? He's making a claim about reality, a claim about uh, something that he says really happened in this world. Now, th- this, is, this is important to understand. Um, there are some people who w- reject the gospel because they don't like it. Maybe there's some aspect of the teaching that doesn't appeal to them. The doctrine of hell, the exclusivity of Christ, just don't like that. So there's some people who reject the gospel because they don't like it, right? There are other people who will accept the gospel because they do like it. They like being part of a church they like the way it feels when they sing the songs they just like this stuff so there's some people who will reject the gospel because they don't like it other people who will accept the gospel because they do like it but listen guys when it when it comes to a claim about reality it doesn't really matter whether you like it or not right what what matters is whether or not. It's true. That's the issue. If, if it's true, and, and John here is saying, as an eyewitness, he's saying it is. It, the gospel is true. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So the, the Christian faith is based on a claim to an external reality. Now, what if you're not convinced if you're not convinced that that claim is true. If that's the case, two words of advice. If you're not convinced that it's true, first, don't fake it. What good would that do, right? Secondly, I would encourage you to explore it. Read. Start with this. Read the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these these stories of the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. Examine, Examine the claims that people who were there in the first century are making about Jesus. As you read, ask yourself, is there, is there a ring of truth to this? I mean, you're, you're never gonna, you can't prove history like you would prove some kind of scientific axiom. You have to look at the evidence, ask, is there a ring of truth about this? And and I would say, as you do this, don't make your main concern whether or not Christianity is something you like. Make make your, your main concern whether or not you find um, can convincing evidence that you can put your confidence in it, that it's true. Some people, uh, you might ask, hey, can I share my faith with you? Can I talk to you about uh, the gospel? And they'd say, sure, that's fine. But first, before you get started, I have have a question for you. Um, What does your faith teach about human sexuality? I want to know that first. Or, Yes, you can tell me the gospel, but first, before you do, um, if I become a Christian, how much of my money would I have to give away? Right, those type of concerns. Listen, th- those are not bad questions to ask, but those are not really primary questions, are they? They're, they're not of first importance. Here's why I say that, because, listen, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, it doesn't matter what he taught on those subjects. He's just another guy like the rest of us. But if Jesus did did rise from the dead, it shouldn't matter how you feel about those subjects. Why? Because if he rose from the dead, he is who he claimed to be. He's the son of the living God. And whether we like everything he taught or not, knees should bow, heads, knees should bend, heads should bow before the king. And, And here's what John says, the life appeared, the life appeared We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So that the passage says, talking about what's real, it says the Christian faith is based on an external reality, something that really happened in the world. So it's based on an external reality. Secondly, the text says, the Christian faith will lead to an internal reality. In other, in other words, if you truly come to know Jesus Christ, you're not just going through the motions with everyone else in church. You're not just doing what maybe you were taught to do in your Christian family. If you, listen, if you really come to know Christ, you trust in him, he will change your life. If you're, if you're a real Christian, something inside you will change. So verse 3 and 4. John says this, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship. You see that word? He said, I'm, I'm telling you this so that you will have fellowship with us and our fellowship, he says, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the word fellowship means intimate communion. It means a close, personal Relationship, And so what John is saying here, he's saying if the external reality of the gospel becomes an internal reality in your life, is in other words, if you truly come to faith in Jesus, he is saying you, you will join us. You'll join the apostles, all the other Christians through the world. You will join us in an experience of what? Of a close personal relationship with, with God. That's that's what he's saying. If you if you really come to faith, you will have fellowship with the Father and with His Son. So John is saying, listen, real faith is based on something real. I mean, either Jesus died and rose or he didn't, right? Real faith is based on something real, and real faith will lead to something real. It will lead to a genuine, life-transforming relationship. With the Almighty. Now, I, I hope you can be here for Sundays this summer as we study the Book of First John. You will you will notice that a primary reason, maybe the main reason, why he wrote this letter is because John was deeply concerned that there were some people in the early church who claimed to have faith in Jesus, but who apparently didn't really know Jesus. Their faith, in other words, it wasn't real. Maybe they themselves weren't even aware of it, that they were just kind of caught up in the movement, going through the motions, but, but their lives had not been changed. They were just going through the motions of Christian faith, but they didn't have Jesus. And John, so John wrote this letter. He was concerned. He didn't want them that to happen to them. I think if John were alive in America today, he'd probably have the same concern about Christians here. listen. of the people who live in America claim to be Christians. That's still a pretty high percentage, 73%. But here's what they found. Over the last several decades, study after study after study will reveal that there's very little difference between the lifestyle of someone in America who claims to be a Christian and people in America who don't claim to be Christians. I mean, in our country, those who claim to be Christians are no more likely to help the poor, help the homeless, than their non-Christian friends. They're no less likely to view pornography or or use profanity in their speech than than, than their non-Christian friends. Many, many people in America who claim, profess to be Christians, they actually, if you ask them what they actually believe, they adhere to doctrinal beliefs that the historical church would just call heretical. Like, how in the world can you believe that and call yourself a Christian? So I think if John were here with us today, he would have the same concern today. We would hear him say the same things that he wrote to those early Christians. Let me read some of the things that we're gonna hear John say in our study of this book this summer. Here, here's what he said to those early Christians. First John chapter 1, verse 6. He said, If we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, what what a metaphor. I wonder what it means to walk in the darkness. He says, If we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Chapter two, verse four, whoever says I know God but doesn't do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. Chapter three, verse 14, we know that we've passed from death to life In other words, we know we've really come to Jesus. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. And then chapter 4, verse 8, whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. So throughout this book, John is saying, real faith will always lead to real change. Now, I want to warn you, The book of 1 John can be a little tough. I remember reading this in college. I was like, oh man, this is I felt so bad. It it can he doesn't pull any punches. It can be kind of tough. But I I want you to understand, it's you see this at the very beginning. John didn't write this letter because he wanted to make people feel bad. He wanted Christians not to be sure that they're really saved. Listen, what does he say? The end of verse 4. He says, We write this to make our joy complete. His whole goal is joy. He's saying, I'm not doing this to make anyone feel bad. He's just saying, I don't, John would say, I don't want anyone, anyone in the church to miss out on the real joy of really knowing Jesus. I don't want anyone to miss, he just say, I want everyone to know the real thing. When I was, uh, when I was six years old, uh, a hit song on the radio that year was a duet sung by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. And the, the name of the song was Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing. Even if you weren't alive back then, you know the song. It's a classic, right? So here's, here's the lyrics to the song. It says, I got your picture hanging on the wall, but it can't see or come to me when I call your name. It's just, I realize it's just a picture in a frame. I read your letters when you're not near, but they don't move me and they don't groove me like when I hear your sweet voice whispering in my ear. And then the chorus. Ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. You know it. Ain't nothing like the real thing. Now, that song going to be stuck in your head all day long, right? I could be wrong, but I think the Apostle John would have Love that song. I think he would have loved it. Why? Because that's the theme to this book. John says there ain't nothing like the real thing. There's nothing like it. Real faith in a real Jesus is life transforming. Because there is a real Jesus who really came into this world. He really died. He really rose. He really ascended. John would say he really right now rules over all things. And if you really come to know him, John says, joy, joy, there's nothing like it. Now, some people get very disillusioned. Maybe you would describe yourself that way, disillusioned because there's so much inconsistency in the church or maybe hypocrisy in the church. Maybe you feel that way. Or maybe you feel discouraged because you just feel like a hypocrite yourself, like you're just going through the motions and you're empty inside and there's nothing real for you. Listen, maybe you feel so disillusioned or so discouraged that you're at the point where you're actually thinking of walking away from the gospel. And I think if John were here today, the Apostle John, here's what he would say to you. Listen, with love in his eyes, he'd say, don't give up yet. Don't give up yet just because there's fake art doesn't mean there's not real art some of it's beautiful just because there's counterfeit currency doesn't mean there's no real money right just or just because they can make artificial diamonds doesn't mean that real diamonds can't be found buried in the in in the ground and so john would say just just because maybe you've never seen the real thing or just because maybe you've never yet experienced the real thing want to say, it doesn't mean it's not there. It is. He is. Jesus, Jesus is the real thing. And John would say, don't give up. Find him. Find him. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. We write this to make our joy complete. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for anyone here who is just feeling empty or discouraged, wondering if there's any truth to all of this that we're talking about today. I pray, God, in your mercy that in coming days you will meet with them in such a real way that they will be so deeply confident of your love for them in Christ. And I pray for all of us that our faith in Jesus would grow deeper and richer and realer for his glory. Amen.